Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Okay. Jesus walking around heaven, right, checking everybody out. And everybody's like blissful, you know, harps and halos and all that. Comes upon this one rather dark corner, this little old guy with his head in his hands, crying his eyes out. And Jesus said, excuse me, he said, this is heaven, you know what I mean? People go to church three times every Sunday, every week of their lives to get up here. And you've made it, you're in heaven, so we can't have you crying, just letting the place down, you know. It's bad for publicity. The old guy said, I'm sorry, he said, I didn't mean to cause any problems. He said, it's just on earth, you know, I was just a poor carpenter. We had this little boy, did everything together. I was hoping he'd come into the business, you know, after me and be a carpenter like me, but he said he had a, a mission to fulfill, so when he was about 30 years old, he went off into the desert. I've never seen him since, he said, and I was hoping, he said, that when I got up here, you know what I mean, I'd find him and we could be together again, but I've looked everywhere and I can't find him anywhere, and it's really cracking me up. And Jesus, with tears streaming down his face, goes, Father, and the old guy says, Pinocchio. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from heavy metal legend Lemmy from Motorhead. Yes. The dulcet tones. Uh, the documentary called Lemmy is rolling into theaters now. And coming up, actor and writer John Lithgow, Cold War treasure Cherry Bombs, and our favorite foxes. From Lemmy to Lithgow. Who said we weren't Renaissance men? Nobody. But, oh yeah. But first, time for small talk. All week long, you've been hearing this. President Barack Obama signed a new strategic arms limitation treaty Wednesday. A massive winter weather system currently has much of the Midwest in its grip. They are not moving until President Mubarak goes however long that takes. Now for something you haven't heard, we're talking to John Letzing. He is a reporter at Market Watch in San Francisco. John, what story are you going to be talking about at your dinner parties this weekend? Well, uh, we're going to be discussing the efforts of the mayor of the city of Lancaster down near L.A. to to implement bird sounds in the city's downtown. <laughs> By putting up bird feeders, I, I assume? Yeah, you might assume, but uh, they are thinking about trying to set up some sort of uh, sound system where they would transmit the sound of birds. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, Lancaster's in the Mojave Desert, right. and people go there for peace and quiet. Like, why are they piping in bird noises? That's a great question. The mayor, uh, you can go online and you can see a little talk he gave about it in the uh, State of the City speech. He said that, quote, we're built for those nature sounds. So it's um, <laughs> scientists have shown there are many positive effects such sounds have on humans. Like what? <laughs> Happier to be in Lancaster, I think. <laughs> That's a big one. That's what they're going for. Yeah. But it is true. When you hear bird sounds, you're like, I've been out all night. Holy crap. <laughs> I have to get home because I have to work in the morning. It'll lead to a more well-rested populace. That's right. <laughs> nice. Uh, John Letzing, thanks for talking to us. Sure. My pleasure. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history has a glandular problem, and it sweats booze. I can't tell if that's a bad thing. Yeah, neither can I. For history. Neither can I, frankly. <laughs> Here's the history part. This week back in 1958, the Tybee Island crash happened. Now, the folks at your dinner party probably won't even know where Tybee Island is. Probably. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here to tell the tale. This is the story of sunken treasure that'll hopefully never have to be found. 
It all went down 53 years ago. The Cold War was on and bomber pilot Howard Richardson was flying a practice run. On board, a 7,600-pound H-bomb packed with explosives and uranium. Suddenly, the bomber was accidentally hit by an American jet fighter. Richardson had to make a crash landing. Except, small problem, his plane was weighed down by the bomb. And oh yeah, a crash landing could set it off. So to save his crew, Richardson ditched the bomb in the ocean near Tybee Island, Georgia. Then he brought the bomber down safely, earning himself a medal. Happy ending, right? Not quite, because the bomb was never found. The military says that's good, that it's probably safely buried beneath water and mud. They also say it didn't have the trigger that could create a nuclear explosion. But environmentalists worry the bomb could decompose, leaking uranium into the sea. Richardson told the BBC that kind of talk bugs him. See, he thought people would remember his heroism, but quote, everything's about the nuclear weapon. So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve with it. Joining me is Sabina Cushing, mixologist at the Old Pink House in Savannah, Georgia. That's just up the river from the bomb's possible watery grave. Sabina, you heard the history. What drink does that inspire you to make? I've called the cocktail the Tybee Bomb for obvious reasons. All right. This is created much like a southern classic called a Ramos Fizz. It was very popular in this area, certainly during the time the bomb was let go. So what's in this thing? I'm using two ounces of aviation gin. Of course. Also an egg white, about an ounce of fresh lemon juice, a half an ounce of maraschino liqueur, uh, and a splash of grenadine. And then these items are shaken together on ice and poured into a martini glass and topped with a splash of soda water. All right. No garnish? Yes. The garnish is a moonshine-infused maraschino cherry, which creates kind of a noxious little treat at the bottom of the glass. <laughs> the undetonated bomb, I guess. Appropriately scary. Actually, I have to ask, is the average Savannah citizen actually scared about the bomb out there? Like, do you avoid swimming in the ocean? Uh, no, uh, there are other things that keep me out of the ocean, however. <laughs> we do have our fair share of sharks and jellyfish. Let's deal with the sharks before we start worrying about the bomb. Exactly. I, a little bomb doesn't scare me. So, Brendan, of course, we were kidding there, a lost nuclear bomb is obviously a serious problem. Yeah. And it's, what if a shark finds the bomb? Oh, my God. You know, it's I bad hadn't en- considered that. It's bad enough they're sharks, and now they have a bomb. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> or they could mate with the bomb and create a, sh- a shark bomb. That's confusing image. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please write that disaster movie called Shark Bomb <laughs> and send the script to us at our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guest of honor this week is decorated television, stage, and screen actor, author, musician. Is there anything I'm forgetting here? Well, I like the word decorated. <laughs> I don't remember being decorated. I was trying. I was groping for kind of a word that would capture all the achievements you've had in your career. Well, I've been given a couple of medals now that you mention it, yes. <laughs> well, I should tell people your name. It's John Lithgow, and uh, you are starring in a play here in downtown L.A. called Stories by Heart, which you conceived and wrote and act in. Can you... Tell us a little bit about what Stories by Heart is. It is an evening in which I perform two short stories, and I sort of frame them with stories from my own life. And the evening is, in a sense, about the whole idea of storytelling. The first story you read is P.G. Wodehouse. Can you tell people why you selected that story? Both of these stories, what they have in common is they're both in a fat volume of stories, which my father used to read bedtime stories. 
And uh, our favorite story was this P.G. Woodhouse story, Uncle Fred Flits By, because it was so funny. And late in his life, when my father was very ill and had more or less given up, we couldn't reignite his will to live. He was going to die. I was looking after him and my mom, and I found this book, and I told them to pick a story, and I would give them a bedtime story. The story they picked was Uncle Fred Flits By, and it made my father laugh. And that moment kind of jump-started him. He just came back to life. Uh, That's especially touching, considering the fact that your father was also an actor. Yes. Um, To change the subject a little bit, I have to admit that, although I interview a fair amount of famous people, it is strange sitting here next to you, because your face is so familiar to me from television and film. What is it like being on the other side of that celebrity? Well, I would say, for the most part, it's very nice. It's... You know, we go through life trying to connect with people, and it takes away the sort of intermediary process. Everybody feels like they know me. Now, does your popularity ever make it hard for you to play certain roles because you get typecast of being a certain way? That only helps. I mean, when people have certain expectations of you, the challenge is to upend those expectations. I mean, that was the great fun of Dexter. The TV show where you played a serial killer for one season. Yes, the character was so frightening. So terribly frightening. And yet he, his protective coloration was to be this very nice, good person. Well, that's kind of the, the image I present to the world. Are you saying you're a serial killer, John? <laughs> Is that what we don't know about you? No, but I mean, I could pretend to be a serial killer right now, and I could indeed scare you. Yeah, I can see that. I'm actually <laughs> I'm starting to get a little creeped out. with. But you are probably the only person, your character in Dexter murdered someone in a bathtub and you have an album called Singing in the Bathtub for Children. <laughs> you know, I never even made that connection. You're the first person. Yes, I entertain little children too, but don't tell them about Dexter. <laughs> so we have two standard questions on our show. And the first question is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? Well, I don't really mind any questions, but I, I think the question that's asked more than ever is, which do you prefer, stage or film? And why does that bother you? It seems to be the question that an interviewer asks when they can't think of anything more interesting. I didn't hear you asking that. (laughs) All right. Well, our second question is, tell us something we don't know, either about you or the world at large. Well, about me, I'm a huge sports fan. And one of my best friends is Phil Jackson. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes, it's true. Did you, were you friends with him before he came on as coach of the Lakers? My wife is from Montana. And Phil grew up a peripatetic life in Montana, the son of Pentecostal ministers. So, and we both have homes up there about a mile from each other. And maybe this is something people don't know about you, too, is you're really tall. And so you could actually probably play a little basketball. Next to Phil Jackson, I am not really tall. So Rico, uh, John said, I call him John. <laughs> he said that the tallest actor he ever worked with Yes. Fred Gwynn, a.k.a. Herman Munster. Herman Munster. And he also said that Fred Gwynn would hate to be remembered solely as Herman Munster. (laughs) Well, you know, on the other hand, we're going to be remembered as the guys who say booze. That's right. Sans Munster royalties. Right. So count your blessings, Fred. Uh, That's the Dinner Party download for this week, folks. Thanks this time to Jackson Musker, Ravi Carman, and Peter Clowney. And now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner parties. If God gives you screws on your neck, 
you know, you gotta own it. That's the (laughs) that's the part you were born to play. Exactly. Here's a new single from the Fleet Foxes, and it's a doozy. It's called Helplessness Blues, and it's off their album, which is coming out in May. Bon appetit. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake. Distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you'd conceive. And now, after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery, serving something beyond me. But I don't.
I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and coming this summer. Mommy, look at that funny metal beach ball with teeth. Shark Bomb. This film has not yet been rated.